0: This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingalls. Shop online with Ingalls Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here, and welcome to tonight's Ingalls On the Beat presentation. A real fun show tonight, real special guest to start things off and talk a lot of Georgia sports. Uh, Jack Bowerly, the Dean of SEC Coaches, retired last week. After 43 years at the University of Georgia, that's pretty amazing. uh, Second half of the show, we're going to dip into the controversy that was Tennessee baseball. We don't typically talk a lot of college baseball, but how could we help but talk college baseball after what we saw this weekend? Some crazy things happening that got a lot of the SEC fan bases involved. And believe it or not, rooting for Notre Dame. Hard to, hard to get folks to root for Notre Dame, but Tennessee managed to do it. We're also going to talk about Arch Manning and the value that he would bring to Georgia if the Bulldogs do indeed sign this legacy player, this very famous legacy player. Some numbers that I think will blow you away in terms of the NIL value and the trickle-down effect that could have. And then finally, a closer look at the Georgia quarterback room. It's always worth looking at especially as we look at the recruiting and the impact it can have in 2023, but I believe in 2022 the Bulldogs only go as far as the quarterback room takes them, and there's more to it than just Stetson Bennett. But first, let's start with Jack Bowerly. Coach Bowerly, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It seems like it was just, what, a few days ago that we all kind of got the shocking news uh, that you were going to hang it up. I know that uh, 43 years is a long time, and yet I know you're still coaching, man. I know you're still yep. making Didn't a wave. Can you hear me okay? So, uh, tell Hi. me, what's, what was the weekend like uh, knowing you're a, a, a retired coach, so to speak?
1: Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a different feeling. I don't feel real retired yet. We have a. i <laughs> – I've just sent, uh, in the middle of the night, two workouts to uh, – Luca Orlando, who actually broke an American record for us this year. Chase Kalish, who was a gold medalist last year. They are in Croatia ready to leave for Budapest tomorrow. So I'm sending them workouts every day. And um, and then also we have the, the, the kids that are here during the summer, which is pretty much all the elite kids stay here during the summer. I, I think one thing people never realized that my job was as intense, or maybe even more so during the summertime with world championships, uh, Olympics, Olympic trials, even, and sometimes some other meets too. But uh, anyhow, uh, but come what late August or August 18th or whatever the heck it is,
0: I'll be retired. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, when we talk about a, a swimming coach, unlike you think about football, basketball, baseball, the stick and ball sports, they, they have their seasons, right? And, for example, yep. football when Kirby's not coaching them up uh, from August until January. There's recruiting and there's some offseason workouts. But, you know, it's almost yep. as if you wear multiple hats, because in addition to being the Georgia men's and women's swim coach all these years, also a six time Olympic coach. To your point, world class swimmers actually come and train in Athens to, to work with you, Coach Bowerly. And I think you even had yep. a, a Florida Gator or two in that pool <laughs> um, because yeah. they, they recognize good coaching, and, and it, it is kind of interesting how the collegiate swim ranks kind of mix with the international game. And, you know, I was telling you last week, uh, I know a lot of most Georgia fans know who you are after 43 years. But, you know, here's a case where I think you're more famous uh, around the world than you are in your own backyard. So it's, it's kind of an interesting paradox. When, when did you typically get a bit of a break? When, when was the swim coach vacation time? Swim coach vacation time comes right after
1: the last international meet of the year for me, which is usually right around the first week of August, give or take. Um, And so you take a break, then maybe you get about seven or eight days. Um, There have been years where I haven't had any vacation. I remember in Sydney, we had a late Olympics. It was in September and we came back and just started up. So school, my kids were already in the water and we had already just won our second national championship. And I knew I better get back on deck and I never took a break. And anyhow, we won the 2001 also. So I'm glad I didn't, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just a never ending thing. And it's sort of, I remember in 2000 to answer your question, I got in a cab, um, uh, trying to remember where we were. We were we were not in Sydney i um, trying to remember. I think we may have been in a camp in Melbourne, right? And I got in a cab and the, and the cab driver, this is in the year 2000, and he said, you're one of the Olympic swim coaches, right? And I said, well, yeah, I am. I said, well, and swimming over there is a little bit like football here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, especially at that time, it was major. Uh, our, our rivalry with the Australians were big, but they had people, I mean, that was sort of a random thing. It happened to me about five or six times. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, because everyone's into their swimming, but they also, they like to, you know, the old saying, right, keep the, your enemies close to you.
0: <laughs> well, for sure, you know, Jack, you know, going down your list of accomplishments, we could take up the first half of the show, but but kind of pulling them out to me, uh, seven national championships with Georgia. I mentioned being a six-time Olympic coach, uh, 40 <laughs> olympic medals uh from 87 olympians that you coached uh, 304 yeah. all america i mean this, these 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 numbers are stupefying so i, I mean i just I, it's hard for it's hard for me to have any uh perspective on this because again they, i mean 87 olympians and 40 olympic uh, of all those achievements though the, the seven national titles of georgia the six-time olympic coach the 40 olympic medals which one which one's the most difficult what, what do you think would be the hardest for the next coach to match, assuming that we have another coach in any sport that makes it 43 think, years in the SEC. I think this this is, Mike, two things. Uh, three things, actually. One of
1: them is academic. No school's mm-hmm. ever done this <clears throat> or any program. I mean, we have 30, 40 now because we got another one, 40 NCAA postgraduate scholarship winners, and only six schools with all 20 of their sports have more than our swimming and diving program. That's oh, wow. pretty cool. and so here's the other the other two stick out more to me than the ncaa championships we had an 18-year run and i think this now the championships were involved but we were either first or second 15 out of 18 years and the bad years we were third fifth and eighth so so I, i view it in basketball terms you can imagine if it was basketball people would really like us because we were in the final game, fifteen out of eighteen years. Wow! <laughs> and then, uh and then we had two elite runs, and then another final four, and then the other one that happened, Mike, when we first got into the Ramsey Center, which really changed, you know, our lives basically for the University of Georgia swimming and diving, because uh, Stegman Hall did not look like the Ramsey Center and the <laughs> Gabrielson Auditorium, <clears throat> but. um we, uh, we won our first meet against Clemson in 1995, lost a second one on the women's side against Florida, and then we did not lose again at home for 22 years.
0: Holy cow. A 22-year – that was that in duels? Du- yeah. Dual streak?
1: Just dual streak. And within that dual streak, there were at least 35 top 10 teams and five number ones that we knocked off. Oh, wow. So that was – I think that might be – you know, you're gonna you're gonna talk about the Tennessee coach after this, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. were you? you, you well, tell me, you were him at the swimming pool, were you?
1: Well, I'll tell you. No, I I tell you about. I was I, I watched coaches watch coaches with interest. I watched them with a lot of interest because I think they thought a lot was going to happen for them before it happened, just because a little bit had you better get used to sports. It's humbling. <clears throat> and if you, you have to really act and be pretty controlled with your sport and your highs can't be too highs and your high and your lows can't be too lows. But I watched them, you know, going into this thing and I watched them even a little bit at the end of the year. Um, I thought they were sort of setting themselves up a little bit for and a disappointment, but, uh, they, you just, I think when you're really, really good, just be quiet. Um, just keep, you know, if you know, if you notice, Kirby never says how how great they look, anything else. I was brought up with Coach Dooley and, uh, you know, I remember he found we were playing Richmond and he said, well, they got a great defensive back, <laughs> but, you know, but anyhow, <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I don't like seeing an SEC team fail, but it—it it felt you know there was a lot of stuff that went on there that was pretty wild, wasn't there? and uh, yeah, and I—I I, and I didn't see much of it. I've been told most of it because uh, right now I'm getting ready to watch. I love NBA basketball. I'm one of, I can't find any my age anybody my age who wants to talk about it with me. <laughs> but I—I <laughs> I grew up with Wilt Chamberlain and Hal Greer and all those guys and the Doc Moses Malone. And uh, I, you know, I just love NBA basketball. And where I grew up, Philadelphia was a basketball town. But I'm not, uh, I'm not saying anything. You know, Tennessee's coach did a heck of a job this year. I think he almost did the impossible uh, winning that few games. Because I remember looking at the end of the year, they only had lost six. But baseball is baseball. And if we don't, if we want to be reminded, just look at the Braves. You know, so from last year, they were below what the game up below 500 at the halfway and, you know, things happen. But uh, anyhow, they'll be back. He can coach and they're they're really good. And, I, you know, I was sort of disappointed for him to have such a great I mean, I, I should say this on a Georgia channel. But, you know, I sort of disappointed for him to have such a great season and not such a great postseason. I don't really wish that on anyone.
0: Yeah, I will say this, you know, to your point, coach, you know, I, I thought the same thing when I saw uh, – went up there to see Georgia play him, and I thought to myself, boy, if you're living and dying with that sort of emotion, that's real, real hard to keep up over the stretch of a season. And to your point about Kirby, uh, you know, like he always talks about, you know, you got to get up for every game the same. You have to treat it as a business trip because if you rely on emotion too much – uh, you know, you can find yourself in a world of hurt. And to your point about about the yep. discipline, uh, that's what we saw, I think, from Tennessee, because it was a very emotional uh, baseball team that played with, quote unquote, a lot of personality yep. As the, the Tate brothers. One of the Tate brothers told me here they play with a lot of personality. And and if you run up against an opponent, they, they can take your best punch and keep going as Georgia did when they beat Tennessee eight yep. to three up there on a Sunday. Or as Notre Dame did when they fell behind three to one and, and yeah. didn't allow themselves to get intimidated or or put off by uh, yeah. some of the behavior. So I understand your point, coach, as far as, you know, not wanting to see an SEC team lose. But I will say this. I would hope for Tony Vitello, as good a coach as he is, uh, that some lessons were learned there, that, that this could be a, yeah. a lesson for future teams that, yeah, guys, we want to play with emotion and we want to have fun. Um, you know, but you can't be sticking your middle finger up. You can't be saying the F word yeah. to umpire. I mean, that was bad for college baseball, Coach, and I almost felt like, yeah. I'm not saying the umpires were against him, but I didn't expect Tennessee to get any breaks for the umpires with the style of ball. Yeah, no. yeah, it was pretty wild to watch. I remember uh, it's a humbling sport. <laughs> i have
1: never forget the uh, first time I got thrown into water for a win, uh, my first win. Uh, the girls threw me in the water and we we had beaten brunel college which was all women at that time so that's where our program was and i thought this is rather embarrassing but you know uh and then it took another what 17 or 8 17 years and set yeah 18 years and i got thrown in again for the sec championship that was a little bit more meaningful but uh i always told our ladies and our guys if we're playing someone and we don't think is as good I just say beat the living heck out of them. I'll control the score because we can we can call it off at the end of a meet and just swim exhibition. But I always wanted the effort the same, uh, no matter what. <clears throat> and uh, you know, I always tell. I said it's always good to beat people as badly as you can for the future. I said, but I but we always did it in a way where we controlled the score, and uh, so we we had good relationships because I knew at some point in time. That can come back at you,
0: <laughs> so. no, no doubt about it. It's interesting. We were talking with Jack Bowerly, the, the dean of SEC coaches, a 43 run at the University of Georgia, an Olympic coach, uh, that uh announced his retirement last week. And uh, certainly, Mike, I gotta really-
1: ask, I gotta ask you something. I'm so happy I'll say it anyhow, but you haven't said six decades. No, My you know what? Really I wasn't even upset. thinking
0: about it like that. <laughs> I wasn't going there. I wouldn't. I wasn't going to do that, Jack. We're not going there. I That's I just think there's a lot, you know, just listening to you talk about baseball and and coaching in general. There's just there's a lot to be learned. Um, I know that you know there was a time that you still have a lot of people at Georgia that that wanted you to be the AD and kind of wish you would have had your run, obviously. Uh, it didn't work out that way. You, you stuck with the pool. Now you have a very aggressive young AD. I think everybody's excited about with Josh Brooks. He's the best. Getting to re- wanting to reflect a little bit before we get into to Josh and the future, George, and what you uh-huh. see, what changes have you seen uh, in athletes uh, in general, coaching them now versus coaching them then, as we've seen different sorts of things in our society sort out?
1: Well, I can honestly say, And I, and I, this has been discussed any among any coach uh, in any sport. We have seen more changes in the kids when they arrive than we had in the last two years than we did probably in 12 or 15 before. Um, I think COVID had an awful lot to do with it. I think a lot of them were a little bit more on the impersonal side of things because of. You know what? You know, they were shut down on the social part and they relied on, you know, what we're doing now, Zooms and uh, text messaging and Instagram and TikTok and all that. And guess what? Um, That's not talking to somebody and it's not real. And then you throw in now the NIL and then you throw in uh, the portal and I think. It's changed more. And now we're giving kids, you know, if you stand there and come in and, and compete, you get about $6,500 for being there. And I just think the the elite athletes that I have, I don't see any change in them. They are still, because they're just, there's something in the best kids that they just want to make sure they compete. And that's the first rule of thumb in their mind. But for some of the ones that are not quite as good, that used to come in and really felt like they had to dig and cr- scratch to find their place on a team, they're getting harder to find. And I love those kids. I got to tell you, I can reel off 10 or 15 walk-ons that were as, as, favorite to, as a favorite to me as my Olympic gold medalists. Uh, one of whom right now is the CEO of MGM. He was a walk-on swimmer with me in the 90s late 80s uh early 90s and um and you know it's amazing somebody i got two guys who just finished with me three or four years ago and they're i mean not just hot shots but they're big deal on wall street already i mean i love those kids they were my favorite ones in many ways uh but they're get they're getting harder to find because i sound i sound like archie bunker here but the more you give them the less they're hungry, you yeah. know? And uh, one of my other best kids uh, was the son of the uh, vice president of marketing for Chick-fil-A, Nick Salyers, his, David, his father, David Salyers, does speeches here for Georgia. Um, he didn't make our traveling squad until he was a senior. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids like that, I just love. Now, they want a reason. And the worst part is some of the parents want reasons. And they would never, years ago, um, they would never intercede. Now, they, I, I, my fear is sometimes they won't, don't want their kids to go through anything. And I got to tell you something, Mike, the very best and the outstanding careers that I've ever had have never been a smooth sail for four years. Something, that, and the better you are, something major went wrong. If you're like pretty average, yeah, it's probably an average hiccup. If you're really good, it's a big hiccup. And and the kids sort of dealt with it then. They didn't think about leaving. They just sort of did their deal. And we sat down and figured it out. And I didn't have to do it with a mom or dad. I did it with my athlete.
0: Well, that's fascinating and it worked. because what you're saying is exactly what Kirby Smart said uh, just a couple of weeks ago, You know, saying that uh, you know he fears that a lot of these kids that that grew through adversity, I mean, all you got to do – uh, you know, and and we often put things in in football terms, and I know you're comfortable with that as well. I mean, you know, hey, yep. the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, Trayvon Walker, didn't start until his junior year. He didn't even start yep. his first two years. And Quay Walker, a first round pick, didn't talk didn't start until his senior year. He actually tried to transfer once and Kirby and Dan Lanning said, No, you ain't doing that. Yeah. I suppose if you really wanted to. Yeah. But to your point, that adversity, and I think back to, you know, and I think everyone watching and listening can can relate on some level. For me, it's the military. And, and I think about how uh, my drill instructors and, and the black hats at the airborne school and, and, and failure was part of the process. And now that part is not accepted in a society where, you know, as I call it, the participation trophy society, yeah. where everybody wants something at the end of the day, Jack.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: the real part of it is, you
1: know, they think just because they work hard, everything's supposed to come. And it doesn't matter. Sometimes there are 20 people better than you are, even if you work hard. And uh, it's about I was really fortunate. Dr. Morehead, uh, Jerry Morehead gave me my greatest honor this year of, of my career, more than anything, whether it be Olympics or NCAA coach year, whatever the heck I've ever received when I was able to do the commencement speech in, in December and I talked about PC and it wasn't political correctness, uh, but it was persistent, you know, just in consistency. And that's, that's takes you to success. You have to be persistent and you have to be consistent with it and you can't come at it. And all of a sudden something goes wrong, you take a break. You know, the ones that are really good are when something goes a little bit astray and they come back, and sometimes, you know, like I've left kids before off the cha- or off the traveling team, and I told them, I said, "Prove me wrong." I hope next year I look like an absolute idiot. And but it's up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to you. It's up to them. I'm going to give you the same program I give to the kids next door to you in the next lane. It's up to you to beat them. It's not up to me.
0: Wow. You know, the dynamics of these athletes, you're, you're trying to find the right ones. You, you've Obviously, you've had to change over the years with the times. Uh, how have you adapted re- in recruiting? You know, I know that most recently the NIL and the transfer portal, um, I, I wonder if that goes into a coach's thinking when you're sitting down in a living room, if you're weighing, is this somebody that's going to stick it out? Is it not? And just in terms of the recruitment in general, what was important before certainly I'm guessing there's different priorities now when you when coaches are out recruiting I think there are Mike but it's probably a little lessened in my sport than what Kirby has to
1: go through Mike White has to go through that's for sure um, they're always worried they're a little bit more worried about playing time uh, they are a little bit more worried about Nil um, but I can sort of get a sense. The biggest thing, the hardest thing when we had COVID was we weren't able to be in the home for two years. And when you can't look at somebody in the in the face and talk with them and with their mother, father or one or the other, depending on the situation. You know, I've been through everything I've been where I had to. You know, talk with a, a father at one home and I leave there and go talk with a mom and, you know, a stepdad at another. I mean, you do, you do it all. There, there are many scenarios. But there's one common thing to be in the home and watch that athlete when you're speaking of what they're able to do with you in this program and how they look at you. And here's the big part, how they treat their parents or parent, whoever was sitting there is paramount to me than anything that can be said at the table, if they roll their eyes, if they make faces, if they sort of interrupt their moms and dads, I'm out.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's a good indicator of how they're going to respect authority, I suppose. Yeah, oh,
1: if they don't treat mom and dad well, they're not treating me well. And uh, because I have a lot less history than they do. And uh, but I also think, uh, you know, when you're sitting there, you can tell I've, I've changed some scholarships at the table uh, for the best, for the good. And I have backed out of there so fast sometimes. It's, uh, you know, I know I come across as being very affable and I am but I'm affable when I think a kid is too. But if they're rude to their parents, am uh, they're not going to be really nice to me, at, especially at 530 when I'm trying to get some blood out of rock. Right. <laughs>
0: right. I want to ask you, you've obviously uh, uh, been around the block a few times. There's probably not a, a, a pool you haven't been in, a competitive pool in yeah. the country. Um, let me start out with SEC cities. Um, what are your what are your favorites? Because I know you get to go out with the kids at least a little bit. I think teams get to go out for meals. Yeah. You've pulled in on buses or flights or and gone on the campus. Give me your top three SEC cities if you were going to tell you know fans that are thinking about road games and whatnot. What what three SEC cities would be at the top of your? Day? I think my number one would be one that I haven't been able to go to with a,
1: a swimming team, and that's Ole Miss. Is that right? Yeah. I I would love, I I haven't been there. I'm going to try to go whenever we play him next. I'm gone because you got to remember, I haven't been able to go to away football games because we have recruits, we have practice. And so uh, I would, I want to go to Oxford because as an English major also has a unbelievable background in literature too. Mm. And uh, so I want to see that, but I think that has more character. Um, On another Vanderbilt's not our best one team in the country uh, or in the conference. They're they're actually they're uh, the Kentucky coach and the Vanderbilt Vanderbilt coach are two of my favorite guys. The Vanderbilt coach I absolutely love, and I like I love Nashville. And there's and then after that, I can't really think of something.
0: <laughs> nothing really, nothing I, jumps out at you.
1: No, I mean I. Athens, there's nothing close to Athens and uh you know I, I granted I haven't seen every part of because every there's one thing I have learned after traveling there's a beautiful part of every town somewhere you know right, right. and and there's there's also money somewhere and where in a little pocket where you don't think it is could be a town of a thousand somebody has a, somebody's pretty powerful or does something well but I just uh I've never been to and I think uh when I'm in Texas A&M, there's just a lot of wide open space down there. And you feel like the, you know, I, the wind just – nothing stops the wind. You know? and, with, uh, I feel
0: like it's the metaverse. I say it's the metaverse with the big stage. It doesn't even seem real. It's No, everything it's, is it's so amazing. Think, well, you mentioned Athens a second ago, Coach. How, how important uh, is Athens to the University of Georgia and, and just the, uh, the athletic programs, do you think, to have a downtown like that?
1: Well, I think the neat thing about it is it just backs up on the prettiest part of our campus too. Yeah, and uh, I was really fortunate as an English major. I spent, you know, eighty percent of my well alleged academic career uh, (laughs) on on North Campus, and uh, so I used to just walk down there and go to the varsity, which is where Chick Fil A is now, and uh, go down to Barnett's, you know, magazine stand when, and you could read a magazine. I I always looked at surfing magazines and they come out and shoot me. Then they say that's enough. You got to <laughs> either buy it or leave. But uh, I think we have a charming town and I think that helps. I think it helps because parents like it also. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's a big deal. Um, but I, it all comes into it. But I, I think the, the biggest thing, our, our campus is no one. I, I don't think there are about a couple t- schools in the country. that has a, a campus that rivals Georgia's. Mm-hmm. Coming from where I came from originally, I fell in love with the falls down here because we get we get all the colors. But there's six more weeks of it down here, and there wasn't Philadelphia. <laughs> and, and I mean, I just love that part of things. And ironically, I think one of the other prettiest campuses I've ever been to. And we won't ever have to worry about them, even though I think we eked one out against them once. Uh, Miami of Ohio is a beautiful campus. Well, interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I don't. I'm not super bowled over by anything else in the SEC. But I am really prejudiced, and I'm going to keep it that way.
0: Yeah, I think I would think maybe uh, Notre Dame, Stanford, Miami outside one of those hit the hit spot. Uh, Mike, you know, when
1: I went to Stanford for the first time, I wish I hadn't. Right. I God, I, I actually said, and matter of fact, that changed the way I recruited some kids because. We had lost one. We lost another. I, I was like oh for 30 or 40, and I finally figured out something to say because when I went out there for our training camp in um, 2000 for uh, – was that it? Or 2000 uh, – 2008, and yeah, I think that was 2008, and then we were 2000 also. They have two fifty 50-meter pools that they don't even use for their competition pool. And that one has those big white tents over it. And then they have a separate diving facility that you could run a meet in too. But they have the, like the pool that we have, our 15 meter pool, they have two of those. And then they say, okay, that's great. Leave it over there. And let's use this great pool over here for our swimming meets because it's much nicer. And, and then you have the campus and then you have Stanford. And, and it's hard to say no to Stanford. So and it's hard for parents to say no to Stanford, even harder, I think. So the only reason, the only way I think we started beating them, and I've talked to, cause we've stolen now at least five. I finally told the kids, I said, you'll know, I had to do something because we weren't gonna win. I said, uh, I told them, I said, you'll know in five minutes if you wanna come to Georgia or Stanford. And they said, really? And I said, yeah, when you get on that campus, just see who talks with you, you know, see how you feel. And see how see if it's a friendly place that you want to spend four or five years of your life, and uh, or if you want to be in Athens, where everyone knows who you are and loves you, and because you're a dog, and everybody talks to you when you're walking the campus. So that's the way I had to do. It. That's so, that's pretty that's
0: it, pretty clever, there, Coach. It Stanford have, folks, they are they're pretty driven and pretty focused. But to your point, they are. it's hard to beat the southern hospitality and and the warmth yeah. that. That people well, feel down here. I, I've got to ask, you, you know, this is one of those questions, people are gonna roll their eyes when they hear it. But I've got to ask the question because I've wondered this enough myself. And you know, half the half the audience may not even know what we're talking about. If I took 18, 19, and 20 year old Herschel Walker and put him in 2020, 2021 Georgia uniform, what would what would happen? What would he do? Huh. He'd run wild even to this day, even, even with the way athletes have grown and gotten bigger, faster, Herschel would still be what Herschel was now. Uh, I think he supersedes, like in swimming, y-
1: you couldn't. Uh, swimming's just changed. Technically it's changed so much too, but Herschel, I've never seen anything like that. And people I know are gonna look to certain games when it was spectacular, if you really want to see a game, that if you want to look at what Herschel was, look at the second Florida game when we won 26-21 again, his sophomore year. And I think he carried the ball 46 times. And they knew he was going to get it. He had a sixth sense about everything. Every summer I watch that game in its entirety. I'm absolutely moved by how tough he was, how, how sort of savvy he was. If there was like a third and seven... And he was getting – they had three or four guys on him. And he didn't go for another yard or two. He just waited for the next play. He knew there was times where he was just going to be had no matter what. During that very game, we had a third and eight. We ran it. Guess what? He got nine. You know, he, it was unbelievable. And there was, if you watch that game, it's you'll appreciate Herschel in a way. And I'm going to tell you something. If people think they hit harder than now than they did then, they're mistaken too. Watch that game. There would have been 15, 10 times where people someone would have been thrown out in this day and age. Those That's guys cool. Yeah, they leveled each other. And uh, but I think Herschel Herschel was he had something else. He just had something else. Even in that game, you know, and he caught like five or six passes a whole game or whole the whole season. He caught two T D touch passes in that game, too. And it's by far and away, and then I'll never forget, uh, I was really close friends with Butch Mulhern, you know, was our orthopedic man. And he was next to Herschel when the shoulder came out, right? Yeah, yeah. And and they pushed it back. And I asked Butch about it just this year. Uh, Butch Mulhern, by the way, uh, played football here. Uh, and then he was our orthopedic surgeon for, what, 30 plus years, uh, all free of charge, never asked for a thing. Um, reads every book on the New York times bestseller list has the most beautiful tennis court, which I play on. I played yesterday. Uh, it's a clay court and he raises about 20 bird dogs down in South Georgia. He's probably the one of the neatest, if not the neatest man I've ever seen outside. He and coach Dooley are tied for first in my list and uh, You know, he was telling me, put this thing back and he said that coach came up to him and said, well, can he play? And he said, well, He's, and Herschel wanted to, but Hersh he said, you're going to have to guard it. You know, you're gonna, you can't fall on it. You're have to. you going to have to get the ball, you, you know, in the other arm because if they hit that, if that goes down again, you're done. And then he said, and the coach said, well, all right, I'll, I'm going to put him in. And they, they put him in, and Butch said he looked up, and first play, Coach Dooley called a screen pass. <laughs> he just put him out there in front of God and everybody to get hit. <laughs> Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, 150 yards with a separated shoulder is pretty cool. And yeah, we had Buck I Blue on
0: a, a couple of weeks yeah. ago, and, and Buck was talking about it. And uh, as someone that covers Georgia, I, I just don't think that story gets told enough. Uh, I just don't think Georgia uh, younger generations understand what Georgia was up against that day. That huh. Notre Dame uh, was the team that was. Uh, That had the Alabama and Georgia recruits. I mean, hands down, the most talented, most dominant program in the country year in and year out was Notre Dame. This was before the rise of the SEC. It was good, but it wasn't as good as it is now. In fact, believe it or not, Coach Dooley never had a preseason top five ranked team in his entire career. Finished pretty well, but they were never. But to your point, Buck was telling me Herschel actually adjusted the way he ran the ball. And the explanation that Herschel gave Buck. Now, when I interviewed him in New Orleans, uh, Herschel's answer was some things are more important than football. And and I didn't really understand it. But then Buck came on a couple of weeks ago. And what it really was, was that Herschel had family members that had driven all the way to New Orleans. And he wasn't coming out. And he wasn't coming out his family. No, I, it's, it's just it's just right. and, he's a, and he was a freshman. We could we could yes. talk. Herschel all hey, Mike, night. We're doing today of it though, Jack. And before we wrap well, it up, I want to get a well, look let me into. Ask, the let me tell you this here. real quickly. Yes, sir. Swimming gets in. Swimming gets into the Sugar Bowl. All
1: right. Okay. The guy. Uh, oh gosh, John Sweeney, who fumbled and he was a fullback out of Chicago, fumbled and led to Herschel's winning touchdown. His two boys swam for me here at the University of Georgia. And he's now the head surgeon, head of all surgery at Emory. And, uh, he's actually saved the lives of a couple of friends of mine. But when I first went in there to see his first son that came and his second son just fin- finished his residency there, I sat down, I said, John, I can't believe you let me even take a seat here. And, uh, but he's been on a panel since that time with coach Julie, cause I got it out there to let it be known. And with Frank Ross also. Oh yeah. And, uh. So anyhow, it's it's sort of funny. It becomes a it becomes a small world, but it's a wonderful family, and uh, you know. But that's it's funny how things go around, go
0: go around. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, it's one of the great things about sports, and you know, talk yep. about what goes around uh, goes around. You know, forty one years later, Georgia finally won a national championship in football after a lot of close calls and a lot of great coaches yeah. and a, a lot of great athletes. So I guess I would ask you. Uh, we've obviously talked about Herschel Walker uh-huh. uh, over the last 43 years. Uh, who are the next three great Georgia athletes uh, that you've seen in, regardless of sport, when we think about all time greats in, in, Georgia athletics, Debbie Ferguson on track.
1: Uh, <clears throat> for sure. I'd be remiss. if I didn't say a couple of my own swimmers that gold medaled I think what people forget, not not be, I don't think they forget, but they have to be reminded in Olympics. Like swimming and track, the world does it. Everybody does it. Russia does it. Japan does it. South America does it. When you're the best in the world at that, it's pretty amazing stuff. Debbie Ferguson was amazing. <clears throat> Dominique, of course. Uh, Mel Latney in track. And also on a world stage, lest we forget, you know, John Isner, and uh, I mean, we're—I've sat here for a long time, and I've—I've I've watched some amazing athletes in my life, and those are some. But uh, I have a whole list of them over there, guys—guys uh, guys that I know that are uh, have a picture, and I have their publicity picture, but I have it signed to me. Uh, Zippy Morocco, uh, there's—you know, people forget Ray Goff was the SEC Player of the Year.
0: He sure was. He was.
1: He was unbelievable to watch. He ran that thing, the Veer, to perfection. Who else is over there? Ray? Well, Malcolm Mitchell's always winning, one of my favorites. But uh, anyhow, I, I think those guys in particular, I'm missing somebody. I mean, we had a young lady here, Christy Kowal, who was the NCAA Woman of the Year. Plus, she set 12 American records while she was here. Oh, I mean, wow. it's unca- Yeah, so I think uh, Courtney Shealy was a double gold medalist. Um, Trying to think some missing some and then oh my gosh, probably the one of the greatest, if not the Teresa Edwards. Right? right. I mean, she was incredible. I love her and she has the most indomitable spirit I've ever been around in my life. I love talking with her and uh I sent her a box bigger than my wingspan, which is not much, of just Georgia stuff. And she took a picture of everything covering her when she's and uh she just loves Georgia. And uh, here she goes, you know, all from Cairo, Georgia.
0: Wow. I'll tell you, that's it that covers a lot of ground there. Uh, Forty, 43 years, some of the greatest athletes. Moving forward, uh, if you're yep. looking in your crystal ball, uh, Josh Brooks has taken over. We've seen a more yep. aggressive tact from Georgia with facilities management. We've, we've, we've had to. We We've seen what's happened around the league. Um, as we've talked about recruiting dynamics have changed, uh, being closer, uh, is not and being more convenient, it doesn't exactly feed the bulldog, so to speak, transportation right. has improved. And even though Georgia turns out all these great athletes and has this beautiful town and top 20 academic public school, uh, facilities have entered into the equation and now we see a more aggressive tact. What are your thoughts on, uh, what we'll see from young Josh Brooks? One of the youngest ADs in the country. Also one of the more aggressive uh, that I've seen early in his career. Well, first of all, Mike, I love people that work up to their position.
1: And uh, I think they have a different sense of what people are going through than other people do. And uh, I told Josh the week or two before I retired, quote, officially, um, that I wish I had another 10 years with him. He's, he's really good and he listens and he understands it. I mean, we're in great need. I mean, and Josh is a very well aware of this. We're on, you know, we we've been 25 years now in the Ramsey center and uh, actually, yeah, 27 years. And uh, so I think, you know, we're in need our locker room was great, but now it's no longer great. And he knows all this and he's, but when you have a conversation with it, you know he's he's on he's on board all the time. Uh, he's very easy to talk with, and I'll tell you what this is important deal too. Our athletes like him, and because he shows up and he gives a darn, and he's actually, I I think it's cool. He's a sports fan that loves all sports, and it does that is not wasted on our athletes. They come back from those student athletic council meetings, and all of my kids to a T say how impressed.
0: Now, he is an impressive guy, Jack, Wish I wish we could go all night. I I, I think most everyone watching and listening to you would agree that in in some way, shape or form, University of Georgia has to continue to to keep you involved uh, beyond. Mike, I can't hear you all of a sudden. Oh, did you lose some audio there? I can't
1: hear you all of a sudden. I'm not sure why.
0: Okay, I think I tried. I think we lost Coach Bowerly there, Michael. Uh, Can you hear me now? Okay, coach. We're having some audio difficulties here. Um, great appearance from Coach Bowerly. Uh, certainly appreciate it. Um, I think uh, speaking with Coach the other day, I think the idea is that in some way, shape, or form, uh, Coach Bowerly could stay involved with Georgia. You hear what he thinks about the University of Georgia. I think you heard some very valuable background information about how the University of Georgia works, in addition to some unbelievable memories from Coach Bowerly. I want to take our break now. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, that Tennessee baseball, the SEC team's headed to the College World Series. Where George is at in baseball. I think George is closer than you think, probably. And Arch Manning, NIL, what that would mean for the Dogs Right now, let's take a moment to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. We'll be right back after this break. It's in our hearts to feel for. Me. There's been a and downs turn around good days and some bad, but we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Throat heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. Well, welcome back to the show. Mike Griffith here, and you're watching the Eagles on the Beach show Monday night. As promised, a little talk about college baseball, and you know, I, to be transparent, you know, college baseball didn't really turn the wheels for me uh, for many years. I thought the games got too long. I covered it heavily in the 90s when I was covering Alabama and Auburn. I went to the College World Series in Omaha at Rosenblatt Stadium. It was pretty phenomenal. I watched Jim Wells rebuild a program there in Tuscaloosa. And I really enjoyed going to the College World Series. But then when I went to Tennessee, I started covering softball. It moved faster, and they had probably the greatest pitcher of all time. And monica abbott you'd go cover a game and be over with in 65 minutes because she was striking everybody out and that game fit in a nice two and a half hour window and of course conveniently enough i had daughters that played softball and coached it so obviously that was something i i took a lot of pleasure in coaching and watching my daughters develop and spending that time with them and and helping other kids get college scholarships you your coach Bowerly talk about that and, and certainly that's very important for athletes when they're young trying to get to that college level Uh, But now, uh, covering Georgia these last four years, I've really gotten to know Scott Strickland better, and I really like Coach Strickland a lot, and I really enjoy the vibe over there at Foley Field. Um, I think the Georgia fans really embrace the baseball program, really, truly love it, and yet it's at such a disadvantage, right? It's not like football where you feel like Georgia's the heavyweight. You feel like Sanford Stadium's as good of a game day as anywhere in the country. The facilities now with the $80 million building, they're finally on par. Uh, but baseball is is near the bottom of the league in facilities. Really hard to keep kids uh, in state. Uh, Notre Dame had a couple of kids from Georgia on that team that beat Tennessee. Heck, Georgia beat Tennessee, and it's just a matter now of georgia getting these facilities going and you heard josh brooks a couple weeks ago make the announcement at the spring athletic board meeting that the tennis facility is going to be what's next georgia once held a lot of ncaa tournaments they want to get back to that they've got to improve their indoor facilities and that will be going on the same time they get started with the football stadium improvement 68.5 million to improve that south concourse and you know, this is on top of what 65 they just did a few years ago. Why in the world wouldn't you wanna play every game there if you're putting 133 million into that stadium and Kirby Smart calls it the best game day in the country. I think the writing is on the wall. Football has to stay on top. It is the engine that drives the revenue train and creates these opportunities for other sports. But first up is tennis. And then we're told baseball and softball will be getting a facelift with some facilities, for the student athletes, batting cages, uh, pitching labs, as they call them, where when student athletes visit Georgia, they will see that Georgia is indeed invested in baseball and Georgia will be able to recruit on the level with some of these other powerhouse programs that they're going up against because that's where Georgia's is losing is on the front end not being and I looked at Georgia just a few weeks ago going to Knoxville and beating that Tennessee team eight to three and I thought to myself as I watched Tennessee play Notre I thought Georgia is two or three players away that's really all it takes if Jonathan Cannon the ace pitcher had come back looking 100 like he did before the injury I think Georgia probably beats North Carolina probably wins the North Carolina Regional and gets to the Supers instead cannon's not himself they get beat by vcu embarrassing to lose to a school like that uh in my opinion for georgia the, the where where georgia is at and who george is should not lose to vcu no offense to vcu special team whatever uh same thing with softball losing to liberty these are games that a program like georgia should not lose you heard coach bowerly on the program earlier talking about stanford and i was thinking to myself you know uh, Stanford is a private school. And it is certainly elite. But if you look at what Georgia has done relative to the Southeast, you know, being a top academic school, having an incredible town like Athens to recruit to, and then having that campus, I think Georgia has that same sort of upside in terms of what it can mean to student athletes. And I think that should be attractive for the non revenue sports, certainly baseball, where a lot of these great athletes come out of the state of Georgia, they're leaving the state. They need to be uh, encouraged to stay here, and Georgia needs to invest. I think Georgia baseball, if they can keep Scott Strickland around, he's waited nine years, folks. Nine years is a long time for a baseball coach to stick around and wait for the school to deliver on facilities it'll be 11 years before scott strickland has facilities that are on par with everyone else can you imagine a, a football coach at vanderbilt trying to stick it out 11 years waiting for vanderbilt to get it just doesn't happen right it doesn't happen so hopefully uh that will happen uh to strickland's uh, satisfaction and some kids will see the future and want to play at georgia because i think Georgia is really close to be in a, that's uh, the sort of team that could make a run at the World Series. I mean, my goodness, Old Miss this year was under 500 in SEC play, and they're going to Omaha. I've not checked the Auburn score. They're playing Oregon State right now. If they beat Oregon State tonight, the SEC will have four of the eight teams. And when you take into consideration that Oklahoma and Texas have punched their ticket, that will mean six of eight SEC teams, ultimately, if you're going to count Oklahoma and Texas future SEC teams. So think about that. This league is not getting any easier. And Georgia and Josh Brooks have to decide if they want to sit at the big boy table and allocate that fund because it's only going to get more competitive. Tennessee is going to put $26 million into their baseball facilities. I don't know what Georgia is getting ready to put in, but they better be ready to match it because Tennessee has more NIL money than Georgia does for baseball. Something to think about. Now, Tennessee, you heard Coach Bowerly talk about what he saw Uh, I think we all saw it Uh, for good, bad or indifferent. I think Tennessee uh, brought a bit of a circus act beyond being the best team in the SEC in 25 years. Let's not lose that part of the equation. This was the best team that the SEC has seen in baseball in 25 years, going back to 1997 LSU. They'd only lost six games during the regular season. They only lost three games at home. One of them to Georgia this team was dominant they had the number one era in the country they had the number one batting average in the sec they led the country in home runs they were so good and yet people were watching and many people were hoping that they would lose why because tennessee brought a little bit more bravado to the field than a lot of baseball purists and traditionalists we're comfortable with. If you want to wear the fur coat with leopard skin when you hit a home run, that's all in fun and good. Georgia has the spike baseball helmet they put on. I think that was fine. But when the Tennessee player flipped off a Georgia Tech player, when he hit the run scoring double, that crossed a line, and that was not good. There was no suspension. You didn't see the player have to sit out. You didn't hear the the, the coach uh, you know, make too big of a deal. And you just thought to yourself, wait a minute, what are we doing here where that's happening in a big, can you imagine in the NFL, if someone made that demonstrative gesture in the middle of a football game, or if a Georgia player did that, what would Kirby smart? I mean, it was just a moment you went, wow, is this really happening? And, and they beat Georgia Tech and eliminated them. And then in the first game against Notre Dame, their cleanup hitter, this star player, I believe he's actually from Minnesota, Miss Kitt is caught. I mean, he looks like a superhero and he gets a called strike he doesn't like. And, you know, it, it, it was a low pitch in hindsight, but he turns around and you could read his lips and the F word came out towards an umpire. Not only that, but a pitching coach comes out of the dugout and he curses and he gets thrown out. So your cleanup hitter, your pitching coach all thrown out in this game, listen, that is upsetting the apple cart. And and that's where that emotion that Coach Bowerly was. how you've got to control yourself and and why Kirby Smart doesn't let the dogs get too high or too low, because Kirby understands as a former athlete himself and as a coach who, by the way, won four titles as part of Alabama's staff, he understands what it takes to win championships. So when Kirby Smart speaks, people say, oh, he's never won. He, he was on the Alabama staff and won four, and he was a player at Georgia in the SEC ranks himself. And, and you heard Coach Bowerly, this incredible Hall of Fame resource that Josh Brooks has at his disposal. And make no doubt about this, Josh Brooks will absolutely take advantage of having a guy like Jack Bowerly. That's a guy, if I'm a coach that's recruiting at Georgia, I don't care what sport, one of my stops is gonna be with the family, and Jack Bowerly at a table and say we're going to have lunch with Jack Bowerly or Coach Bowerly, the former swim coach, is going to join us. I want Jack Bowerly at that table for many reasons. One, the, the history, the perspective, but two, the value that he brings as a talent evaluator with all those Olympians and world champions he's coached, That that, that is just so invaluable, folks. I can't even tell you the greatness that we were in the presence of tonight and a cool thing about great coaches is that when you talk to them, you don't, they don't, they don't put the airs on. They don't have to act like they're better than everybody. They're very down to earth. I remember the first time I met Kirby Smart at SEC spring meetings, I just walked up to him in the hallway. And I just said, hey, I just, I gotta tell you, I loved what you just said about not letting that Alabama game beat you twice. That was the most incredible answer that I'd ever heard. And it really gave me a perspective as to how you're gonna compete at Georgia. And he's like, well, You know, thanks. I mean, it wasn't anything special, but it's just the truth. You know, we're competing every day and and to that point. Um, But that poise uh, was so important. And I think Tennessee lost their poise. And Notre Dame became the underdog that everybody, a gritty team that hung in there against an ultra talented team. Let me tell you, I would have taken Tennessee against the field. That's how good this Tennessee team was. Um, But as I told Coach Bowerly, I do think there's some karma at work. I don't think Tennessee was going to get any breaks from the umpires. I think they were their own worst enemy, and uh, that's something to think about. I don't know if you read the story, but Lane Kiffin, uh, some Tennessee fan on social media, took a shot at Kiffin, and boy, Kiffin just fired back, and social media is just all over the Tennessee fan base, and, and, and one of the fans, oh, why is the media picking on Tennessee? I said, listen. You know, Tennessee kind of asked for this with a lot of that bravado and their fans on social media were basically kicking everybody's butts and taking names and saying, bring it on. We're the best. And when you take that approach, you better back it up or you're going to hear from people. And Tennessee baseball, Tony Vitello, their coach, is going to hear from people now where they go from here. To me, this is a crossroads. Either Tony Vitello is going to learn a valuable lesson from this and teach his players and teams moving forward guys we can be the best but if we don't play with poison discipline it's not going to work or or not and there will be more of the same and and we'll have to see what happens in an ultra competitive sec another story i did this weekend and this was fascinating on three is is uh i think you guys have seen their uh, Sports brand, sports media brand. I know Palmer Toms is our local guy. I think Palmer does a really good job. He's a UGA student. A lot of respect for Palmer. But they got a lot of good writers there. A lot of talented people. And they've got a really good network put together. And one of the things that ON3 has done is something called the NIL 100. And in this NIL 100, they have a list that basically puts a value on NIL value on every player every student athlete, current, and prospect. As things stand, LeBron James' son, Bronny James, has the highest NIL valuation at $6.3 million. Second, tied for second, is Alabama Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young, which doesn't surprise anyone, 3.1, and Arch Manning, who I believe Georgia leads for. I still believe Arch Manning is gonna wear the red and black. I believe he's gonna be a bulldog. I think he's a perfect fit. Uh, I think he will validate the program. I think Todd Munkin is is too good of an attraction for the Manning's to resist. He's proven he can win with with different, vastly different style of quarterbacks. Arch came to the game uh, that JT Daniels played against South Carolina. Last year, South Carolina led the SEC in fewest passing yards allowed. JT threw for over 300 and three touchdowns in that game. And he only played three quarters. That uh, multiple receiver modified spread with the air raid concepts, that is what I think you're gonna see Arch Manning fit into. That is the style of offense that I think you will see Arch Manning play. And I think if Arch Manning commits, which I think he will at some point, I think George will probably get two, if not three elite receivers that go along with him, $3.1 million. So the essence of my story is that Arch Manning will bring value to the quarterback position. Now, Stetson Bennett is a national champion, an Orange Bowl MVP, and a CFP championship game MVP. And yet he's only 11th among quarterbacks in the NIL collective value at 703,000. Why is that? Well, it's because Stetson Bennett isn't an NFL uh, considered an NFL prospect. Now, that doesn't matter for college football, and I guarantee you Kirby doesn't care. But my thinking is this, when you add value to a position, think about how that creates momentum and the other student athletes that want to come and be a part of that. I think about Peyton Manning's career, and I wonder how great would Marvin Harrison have been if he played anywhere else? I, I, I dare say I don't think he would be uh, as celebrated as he was uh, playing with with Peyton Manning. Um, uh, Reggie uh, – oh, gosh, the other receivers slip in my mind now. Um, Reggie Wayne. What would Reggie Wayne have done if he would have played, you know, with with another, you know, Jay Cutler, right? I, I don't think that we're talking about Hall of Famers. Look at the the receivers and what Tom Brady has done for the career of receiver. I think quarterbacks – make the receivers in many cases um, I think they're very important and and I think vice versa too I think about Steve Young with the Buccaneers and who was he and then you put Steve Young with the 49ers and a great team around him and he becomes a hall of famer so if you're Arch Manning and you're looking at Georgia number one you look at your opportunity to win championships and I think Kirby Smart's proven he can build a championship program they've won one in six years they could have won three 2017 and 2018 teams were definitely good enough to win national championships. But as Kirby says, you know, you got to get some breaks. And what Kirby wants to do is be consistently great and be in the running every year. Kirby's theory is you get enough at bats, you're going to hit one out. And that's what happened last year. And, And could it happen in 2022? Sure. 2023? Sure. We know the talent is there. But beyond that, Georgia has to get some momentum to stay ahead With these NIL and transfer portal the way it is, you know, you've got to maintain that momentum. And I think Arch Manning is absolutely pivotal to the future of Georgia football and bringing value to the position, right? Think about it. Georgia went after Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback. They weren't able to get him. He ended up going from Oklahoma to USC. He has a $2.4 million value. And Caleb Williams, another key player. CJ Stroud at Ohio State. What's he driving on a Mercedes G-Wagon? Is that what I heard? Wasn't he driving a a Bentley uh, last week? He's got a deal where he gets to change cars every 45 days. This is what's happening. Spencer Rattler Rattler with a $2 million NIL value. Quinn Ewers at Texas, $1.5 million, right? The number one Georgia valued NIL player is Brock Bowers at $895,000. That's 15th in the country. Freshman All-American and, or excuse me, freshman player of the year. And uh, all American. Jalen Carter, number 18, 803,000. Uh, only slightly ahead of the Tennessee recruit, uh, Nico LaMilavella from California, who allegedly has a multi million dollar contract in waiting. We shall see what ends up happening with NIL value, but I think very important. Now, the Georgia quarterback room. Even if you get Arch Manning, then what happens? A lot of talk about this. Uh, well, it wouldn't be until 2023. So Stetson Bennett, uh, who turns 25 in October, will have exhausted his eligibility uh, by the time Arch Manning gets in. Uh, what happens to Carson Beck? What happens to Brock Vandegrift? What happens to Gunnar Stockton? My best guess is that one of those three would transfer out. Not all three, but one of those three would transfer out if Arch Manning comes in. Uh, and it will be very interesting to see who and when and how this shakes out. But there's a value, make no mistake about it. There's a great value to being a Georgia quarterback when you consider the offensive line, which I would argue is the best in the country going into the season. When you consider this, these ridiculous tight ends and the matchups that Georgia has, I mean, how in the world? Who has the personnel to match up with Eric Gilbert and Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington? I, I don't see anyone with the personnel. You might have the plan But do you have the personnel and then the run game which i think is vastly underrated i think kenny mcintosh and kendall milton are both nfl talents and i think the running backs are actually better than they were a year ago i think the numbers will probably bear that out will be very interesting to watch and see what happens for georgia football this season particularly with the opening game against oregon so uh take a look at your comments if you've got any questions or thoughts now is a good time I see uh, Kirby's Visor commenter said Jalen Carter should have a higher valuation than that, block the field goal and change the momentum. I would agree with that, except this. He's a defensive lineman. And defensive linemen don't carry the same value as those skill positions on offense. Quarterbacks, typically the most valued guys. You think about running backs and wide receivers and guys that score touchdowns. Those are typically the guys that have high NIL evaluation. Now, I think Rodrigo Blanketship is a case uh, of, a, of a kicker who went viral. I think Rodrigo probably would have had some sort of deal with some glasses company, right? Um, but for the most part, your quarterbacks, your receivers, uh, your running backs, I think DBs, people with the ball in their hands that are visible are going to get Uh, more money. I see here uh, Antoine Sampson says, knew that I was going to speak it correct. Uh, Good opportunity to talk about NIL because here's the thing. Uh, This isn't going away. This is not going away. The NIL is not going away. So let me repeat it one more time. It's not going away. I know people don't like it. I know there's some resistance and I know there's some resentment But this is where the game has evolved. You heard Coach Bowerly talk earlier about how the last two years, how much things have changed. Uh, I think it was Terry Bowden said on the Feinbaum show, when you've got a quarterback driving a Bentley to practice, it's not amateur sports anymore. And that's what the Ohio State has. Eventually, you're going to see some of that at Georgia. Um, And and Kirby Smart wants to put value on winning championships. He wants to put value on kids that will stay – and and battle through adversity and grow as people and players as Trayvon Walker did didn't start until his junior year as Quay Walker did didn't start until his senior year right and the way these kids stuck it out Stetson Bennett transferred away to a junior college came back he was four string I mean he threw four passes in the 2021 spring game he was the number four quarterback and Eight months later, he's holding up a national championship trophy as the game's MVP. So the Georgia program has proven that good things come to those who wait and are patient and work hard. And I don't think you want to lose sight of that. I don't think Kirby will lose sight of that. At the same time, he's got to appeal to the most talented players. And as he said, if you get that flashing light or two in the locker room, maybe some guys that are motivated by things that, that uh, you know, aren't necessarily team first. If you have good leadership around you and you have enough of those kids that are playing for the right reason, they'll, they'll be able to handle the blinking light as as Kirby Smart put it. I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. Moose Thomas wants to know what my NIL deal would be. I would have to say it would have to be green tea, right? I gotta think I'm the voice for green tea. It gets me through every show. It helps me wake up in the morning and it's good for your nerves, right? Green tea, I believe it's been a key for me. I'm not going to do a commercial. They're going to have to pay me uh, to do maybe Royal Caribbean. I went on that Royal Caribbean cruise on the Dog Nation cruise, and it was the most incredible experience. Um, I, I just, I still think about it. I think about the times that that Jeff and and B.A. and and B.J. and I had uh, on that cruise and just how different and unique that was. So maybe Royal Caribbean, uh, certainly Ingalls at the top of my list, you know, not just being here for me, but being here for all of us through the pandemic. And we think about the struggles that we all, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago that, that we were searching out shelves and trying to get the supplies for our loved ones. And we knew we could rely on Ingalls to be there. Right? So th- there's a lot of uh, products that I would gladly uh, sponsor that I believe in. And um, and to me, that's the real that's the other part of the Nil value part, right? What's the value to the Nil? It's more than just attaching a name to a brand. I think there needs to be a statement there. I think there needs to be a, a sense of ownership and buy-in. And so you know it's genuine. I would have a hard time endorsing something. That i didn't truly use approve of or love right i just i couldn't do it it just that's not my shtick right like my thing if you will is i'm the tell it like it is guy and sometimes to my detriment admittedly i'm sorry i've upset some of you in the past i've, I've not always been rainbows and unicorns on everything george i've been critical at times of of plays and games and players but that's just how I do my journalism is to be as honest and forthright as possible. I don't go looking for trouble. I'm not going to sit here and try and tell you 10 things to upset you tonight. But if we happen to cross on a topic, I'm going to tell you how I really feel about it. And, uh, and hopefully enough people will appreciate it and say, well, you know what? Maybe you don't agree with Mike or like with Mike. I look at it like I'm the weatherman, right? When it's really cold out there, I'm going to tell you it's really cold. Right now, uh, it's really hot. I see Shannon uh, Sippy says Copenhagen and Red Bull. No, never done an energy drink. Never done an en- energy drink. Dad's a pharmacist. Okay, Dad's a retired pharmacist. And so before I put anything into my body, and I'm not saying I've always eat the healthiest stuff uh, because I I've got my vices, the things I shouldn't eat that I do. Unfortunately, I try to eat healthy and I try to be healthy. But, But uh, it catches up with me. But uh, talk to dad about everything And the energy drinks. They have too many things in there that just, you know, I talk about green tea being good for your nerves. Sometimes there's some, you know. Anyway, don't want to get too far off track. We've enjoyed tonight's show so much. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in. It means a lot. um, You know, To have this audience every night when you share it on your Facebook page and others see it for the first time and talk about it. That helps me out. It helps Dog Nation out. And hopefully, you know, we educate the crowd. Tonight's show was very special and it definitely is worth sharing uh, because Jack Bowerly was on there. And um, I, I really appreciated Coach Bowerly coming on. He is so genuinely respected and loved at the university. He's a treasure. He's an absolute treasure. And I know some of you, maybe you didn't really know Coach Bowerly before tonight. You're wondering how in the world did I not know about you should know about him and and he is a wonderful figure that's done great things for Olympians in Georgia and and truly an ambassador to the school so uh, I'm going to sign off uh, for now Connor and coverage is tomorrow night you know Brandon is back this week so live prog- programming with dog Nation daily our producer Michael Carvel. I love it when you guys give Michael a shout out I know that means a lot to him he works very hard it uh, means a lot to to me and the team uh, that we have a production expert like Michael, a multi talented guy who's done many things in his career and I appreciate Michael's production tonight. So everyone have a wonderful week and uh, I'll be talking to you again soon and seeing you again real soon.